The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comber, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up participating in more activities than most young people. She was curious and loved to be a part of things. In her family unit, conversations usually centered around how to leave the world a better place, a burning desire that developed in her as she grew into an adult. The area she began to influence was aerospace, and her determination and talent landed her a senior executive spot in the U.S. space program. As a deputy administrator of NASA, she knew she could bring so much good to the world as she set out to reform the agency. But aerospace was not a place where women were welcomed, and being in such a powerful role of influence was not easy. She was sexually harassed and verbally abused, but she pushed on. Now others can learn from the wisdom of her journey with her recently released book, Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age. The story reveals how she defied the status quo as a woman working in a male-dominated field. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Lori Garber. Hi, Lori. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Annette. It is wonderful to be with you. Thank you. We have such a little time together, and I've got so much I want to talk about, so I'm going to jump right on in. So as a female change agent, you found that neither women nor men were open to you. We all understand the male resistance, but how about the female reaction? Did this surprise you, and how did you cope with the overall resistance? Well, of course, there were people who were open to me and my ideas, but it was those people who had um, an invested interest in keeping things as they were that I think found it most uncomfortable for me to be out there pushing for change as a leader. You know, growing up in the aerospace business, there was an organization that started early on in my career called Women in Aerospace, and they were extremely supportive of all of us starting out. It was really only when I got to a position where my views impacted others um, in ways that might be negative. And that's understandable. Any sort of disruption, especially in government, where we typically have a status quo mentality, uh, there is resistance to change. And as a political appointee in the Obama administration, there was a natural negative reaction by Republicans. Unfortunately, we have a very partisan community. And we, I, I think at NASA, like to think we are different and don't play those kind of politics. But that was challenging for some people, yes, even women, to see in me. I also got a lot of support from my female friends and colleagues. And I think the real challenge was to those who were making a living off of doing things the old way. And you said something I want to dig a little bit deeper on because I'm, I want to hear your perspective on it. What I have found uh, for myself and for other high-level women is that we are part of the old boys club until all of a sudden we aren't. And we aren't when we get into positions of power that actually have some control and influence over things that affect the men. Have you found, did you find the same thing to be very clearly demonstrated? 
Yeah, that is my direct experience as well. Obviously, I wouldn't have continued to be promoted throughout my career if I hadn't been a good colleague and um, employee to the men who primarily I worked for. I was appointed to the NASA Advisory Committee very early in my career by the head of NASA in the 1990s. I was brought into NASA um, when I was 35 years old, having worked at an organization called the National Space Society. And I worked for the aerospace industry for the eight years between my two times working for NASA, all of that in a very collegial way where I was embraced, I guess, yes, you would say by the old boys club. In fact, I think that took people by surprise then when I was promoted into this much more senior role in government that I had views that might not have been entirely shared by them. And that is where I think um, there was concern and maybe even a little bit because they expected me to just go along. We find it easy to do that. I think as women being liked is something we naturally want to do. But I took my oath of office very seriously in wanting to give the taxpayers and the nation the very best space program they could have. And so to me, that was paramount. And I think people expect women in those roles sometimes to just acquiesce to the men. And I was number two, not number one. And the man in charge didn't always agree with me. But of course, we both worked for the president. So it was this unique um, situation where we had the president of the United States and the deputy of NASA align on policy views, but the head of NASA was not. And the whole aerospace community wanted to support what that head of NASA was doing. So it was much easier to to dismiss the Black president and female deputy. Yeah, and it's interesting, because I was thinking as you were talking, you know, wondering if that had would have been a lot different uh, with those opposing views and new ideas if they had come from a man. Because I think there is a center of expectations that whirls around what women should and should not do that gets muddled. As I go into in the book, that was certainly the case with me. The head of NASA, in fact, 10 years before, had championed very similar change. (laughs) And uh, while it hadn't been successful, perhaps because the timing wasn't there, perhaps because we didn't yet have the resources being invested by people like Elon Musk with SpaceX, he was not vilified for this. You could tell a lot of the reaction to me was um, characterized with gender-laden language. It's always such a giveaway. You know, she has hair, brain schemes or something that they would never say to a, to a man. I'm typically called a lightning rod, you know, for having my own ideas. And, um, you know, even to the point because of social media where people, you know, come right out and say, you know, you need to get laid or are you on your period or menstruating, you know, or going through menopause. I mean, all of it. Um, That is pretty easy to then make the connection to, okay, they are uh, partly at least offended that a woman is trying to drive this change. Right. Absolutely. So as you moved through your career, you and your views were regularly attacked, undermined and dismissed. You've already alluded to that. And you mentioned that in the book for sure. So do you think things are different today for women in the space program? 
know, this wasn't really that long ago. I left NASA the second time in 2013, and there is another female deputy administrator of NASA now, still no administrator of NASA yet, who has not been male um, after 60 plus years. But the woman who is deputy now, I don't think is experiencing what I did, but there are a couple of reasons for that. One, um, the administrator of NASA and she have a more um, positive, it seems, working relationship. She was a shuttle commander herself. We have only had two female space shuttle commanders in in 134 (laughs) flights of the space shuttle. Um, She commanded two space shuttles herself. And that comes with a type of respect within the aerospace community and the agency that makes it more difficult for people to criticize her. I like to believe I helped pave a path where her views uh, could be more embraced. She is wonderful at communicating her views. And I think the space agency is at a place where there is a coalescing of opinions. It happens to be the path that I set and wasn't popular in doing so. But now that we're on it, people are embracing it and that is great to see. So the fact that women can be doing that as well um, is another step, but I guess I'm not super confident since we haven't even had the first female head of NASA yet that um, there isn't still brush to be cleared. Yeah, I think you're probably very much so correct. So as a um, senior executive, you felt you could not show emotions. Yet men around you did. Even crying was allowed with them. How do we women level the playing field on showing emotions? This is a hard one. I definitely, over time, decided it was really okay for me to show more emotion because I did have a boss who was a Marine general and four-time astronaut cry pretty much every day he it was okay. part of his i don't i still Crazy. don't know is it is it um oh my dad got like this in his later years you know you get emotional and he'd be telling a story or even talking about something like the space shuttle that to him was emotional and you know gets teary Uh, At first, this is disarming when you're with him, you're looking for a tissue and so forth. And in fact, just a couple (laughs) weeks ago, he was speaking and this happened. He's long since retired and people were trying to console him and he just waved them off and said, oh, don't worry, I always do this. Had I always done that, it clearly would not have been as acceptable, I think, for this person. You know, he's a hero in his own right. He's accomplished great things and people... It it actually is a little endearing um, for him. I don't know if that's why he does it. But we we were going through some really tough things at NASA in those days. I very uh, luckily was not at the agency during either of the space shuttle accidents. But we were winding down the program. And that meant thousands of people were going um, without their continued job on the space shuttle. Many were transitioning to other programs, but not all. And, you know, I was coming across, I think, as much more harsh in uh, overseeing this activity than the guy who's crying about it. Um, And there was a point when I was down at the Kennedy Space Center and overcome with the emotion of the ending of the program and the lives that had touched and people who were involved. 
And I wish I had been able to show that. I, I wish I had allowed myself to go. show that emotion before I did it then. And I think it just has to, to address your question directly, how do we level that playing field? We have to have more females in powerful positions who are carrying out their leadership duties as men do with conviction, as well as care and emotion. And not be ashamed of it or apologizing for it. not be ashamed of it, right. Apologizing for it. So in this very powerful position you were in within NASA, I'm going to ask you, how did you view the power you possessed? You know, I didn't feel as powerful. I, I would say I did feel empowered. So you take the oath of office for something like this, and you have a responsibility to the nation because you are being paid for by taxpayers, because our nation's civil space program is a crown jewel. It is not a military organization, so we are supposed to be transparent to the public. And I felt very much empowered to lead in a direction that could help us be the best space uh, agency in the world, in the universe. And I think, whereas the head of NASA at the time, Charlie Bolden, came in thinking, well, nothing needs to change. I'm here great. This was sort of a natural thing for for me to do next after these shuttle flights and um, was more of a caretaker. And for me, wow, uh, it was amazing to have, as I say in the book, the planets aligned for me to be in a role where where I had a perspective that was unique, where the nation really was um, in need, I think, of some real leadership with our space program. We had not since Apollo really captured the spirit of exploration that we did at that time. The space shuttle was retiring. We were going to be using the Russians to launch our astronauts to the space station. All these decisions were made before I came in. Of course, those decisions were made by men. Yet, even today, you get congressional leaders and so forth saying, Lori Garver killed the space shuttle program. You know, the one woman who was in the mix at all, and it had already been decided before me by presidents, um, you know, okay, it's easier to blame me. These were things that, okay, I've got some power. And if you want to really give me all that power, I might as well um, try and do good with it. book Escaping Gravity, you talk about your quest to transform NASA, that it puts you in the crosshairs of established male power center. And you and I agree, it's certainly a dangerous place to be. What advice would you give to other women who find themselves in similar situations? I think it's always healthy to recognize that your perspective does matter, even if it is different. For me, um, I had a different background. I not only didn't look like them, I didn't necessarily think like them because other people come to this role as engineers. And it's a little bit like if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're an engineer, you just want to build big rockets. But NASA's goal (laughs) is... Especially men want to build big rockets. Yeah, well, there's lots of reasons, perhaps. But the point of building big rockets is 
in what you launch, in what it is we can do in the atmosphere and beyond that benefits humanity. So the rocket was something that I felt we were too fixated on at NASA and being in an from an unconventional background for the role, I think bringing that perspective ultimately is what allowed us to, again, be in a leadership position that NASA is today. So for others, it's leaning in, if you will. It's having the confidence to bring not just yourself to the table, but your different perspective. So in this space of transforming NASA and you being such a visible figure because you're a woman, you've got different views, so on and so forth. Do you think that in general, men were afraid of you? And do you think today men are often afraid of women in power? Sure. Uh, I certainly didn't think it at the time. A lot of these things, you're just in the moment, you're working so hard, long hours, at least in the government, they have your day jammed with meetings. And so I, I was just trying to do my very best job for the nation. But upon reflection, of course, I did because I was wielding power and I had a different background, frighten some of these men. When I came in to lead the transition team, especially, I think the head of NASA at the time, who was clearly outgoing because he had been appointed by the previous president, didn't even want to meet with me. And that was an extremely odd reaction to me because the whole point of transitions in government are to, at least they used to be, you know, have a peaceful transition of power. My son is a music composer. He writes musicals and he has written a musical since I was in this role called Medusa. And he has told me that I had in my career some inspiration for this. The character Medusa in Greek mythology is very much feared by men. In fact, at least in some parts of Greek mythology, Poseidon himself has raped Medusa and spreads this word that she is to be shunned because if you look at her, you will turn to stone. And he says she has snakes in her hair. Well, in my son's wonderful version of this, Medusa, of course, does not have snakes in her hair. And she is being told this to shut up because she has power. If she tells the truth about what Poseidon has done, he will be the one who suffers. And um, it for the musical, I think, was really a reflection. And I can't even listen to these songs uh, without hearing myself and being emotional because he says, you know, um, why are you letting other people put snakes in your hair? It's you they fear. So it's it's a really interesting aspect of being, I think, a female leader who is vilified for doing the right thing. And sometimes that means the people who are the critics are maybe concerned that um, you are going to disrupt their own power. I had a man tell me once, uh, a very powerful man tell me that women do not understand how powerful they are. And so many men see it and it scares them to death. 
And I find that interesting, but it is something for us to be cognizant of because what happens, I think, is women, when they see this resistance, they don't think about it in terms of looking out and saying, what are men afraid of? They turn the attention inward. What have I done to cause this reaction? What do I need to do? Blah, 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 whatever the list is. And lots of times it's nothing about them individually per se. And it's an interesting perspective to keep in front of you because I think there is a fear and it drives a behavior that maybe is not expected. Yeah, but I think once again, it might be, okay, why are we taking this man's perspective? You know, men have said to me throughout, uh, certainly in my later career, it's not because you're a woman. You know, I love my wife. I have a great relationship (laughs) with my secretary. It's like, yeah, you like women who represent traditional female roles. Really, this is for, you know, the ages, something where we have looked to men, they are the competitive ones. They see something as if you win, I lose. We don't tend to look at things that way. You don't have to be afraid of people just because they have power. You can be someone who I've had um, an astronaut friend, a female, who once she left the astronaut corps, went to work on a research ship and it, its captain was a female. And the collaboration on that ship and doing science was so much more effective than she found in the astronaut corps where it was this win-lose, if you win, I lose situation. And I think it's high time women took the role and didn't try to behave like men, but say, yes, we are a more collaborative gender. And that is a very needed way to lead today. Oh, very needed for sure. It's more than it's probably ever been in history. So I'm going to stay with your book for a second, because in the book, you share conversations and insights into the epic battles that happened to transition this space access to private interest. What does this inside view offer others about change? Well, the transition at NASA was long overdue. And I think that's probably the case with a lot of change. People really have been asking since the book came out, how did you know this was the right path? You know, you're willing to work so hard to get it. Well, again, I wasn't alone in thinking this was the right path. Many people, mostly men, had thought this, but I happened to get a position in government where I could make that change and took the initiative to do so. It goes back to your point about whether or not, you know, what you you would tell people earlier in their career, women. um, This isn't something that is different um, about women, but it is more something about trusting your instincts. And you probably have more information than others about some topics. And you can really, it's okay to be outspoken. And it's okay to not necessarily belong. Is it? Is it okay not to belong? Of course. I mean, I didn't want to think every day, though, that I didn't belong at NASA. I think organizations just like nature are stronger when there is diversity. Any team um, is this way. So belonging is a tough word for me because we do belong and our very differences are one of the reasons our participation should be embraced and encouraged. Yeah, because there's so much value that's being lost when that doesn't happen. 
Lori, you have known Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and these other space billionaires for over a decade. With regard to power and wealth, what do they do different than others? And what can they teach women about thinking big and succeeding? I do talk about Elon and Jeff Bezos and to a lesser extent, Richard Branson in the book. And I met Elon over 20 years ago, Jeff more like 15. And as I say in the book, there's not really uh, a way to relate to these people. And I don't think it is that unique that they are men. It's impossible to really think like someone who wants to amass hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, for me, I think they have been successful in not only were they able to capitalize on the internet, the kinds of things that were happening at the very beginning of the digital age, but took that and made more. Uh, Other people make different choices when they are successful. Do we want to be like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos? I'm not so sure, Um, other than the fact that I do think that their space investments have done very positive things for the space community. But I tend to be someone who likes to take that bigger picture to the extent that not only just a few individuals should benefit from these technologies and lots of what we have today, our technologies could be used to help end suffering, poverty, famine here on the planet. And it is maybe not the most aspirational goal. I don't think it's a big surprise, as I say in the book, that there aren't women who've amassed that amounts of money. We have certainly female billionaires, but the types of things that they have done to get there are probably not the kinds of things most of us aspire to do. And can you give me an example of what you're thinking of? have a workforce that aren't able to organize into unions, for instance. Neither of them are supportive of of those types of things. And, you know, workers' rights is important to me. So there's a perfect example of how a woman might view it very differently than a man in that type of position. We we might. I'm saying I do. I don't think it is um, just a happenstance that probably the richest hundred people on the planet are men. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. And that wealth yields a lot of power, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. And for some, that is unseemly, as I say in the book. And there are plenty of um, ways to make a difference in this world, be empowered without being a multi-billionaire. True. Absolutely. Lori, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, even that phrase, journey to greatness, is uncomfortable for me. I think we all have greatness within us. The whole point, as I said, of our space endeavor is that we see ourselves from a different perspective. And all throughout my career, it's been just about, you know, we joke, these rockets don't build themselves. To be a leader means having people in mind and not subgroups of people who are your friends, not subgroups of people who are astronauts, but all people and using that to benefit others. To me, greatness is uh, in all of us. And I have to agree with you for sure. 
Lori, I appreciate you taking time and being so open to sharing your wisdom. The book Escaping Gravity can be found in bookstores and on Amazon. I am in the middle of reading the book and it is wonderful. It's well worth the time to read. And I encourage you to all go out and pick it up at your local place or wherever you buy your books. And Lori, thank you again. Really, really enjoyed having this time with you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Annette. And Lori is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. Join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 